Um, you know, one of the grave realities that we now face in society is that we have become a selfie culture. Uh, so many people seem to be obsessed with the art of taking a great selfie. Oh, and now it's not even going to work for me, of course. There we go. Everybody smile. That's, there we go. Yes. Yeah. Uh, I had to borrow the uh, selfie stick, of course. It's not my own. Um, I borrowed it from Pastor Ron. <laughs> I'm not joking. True story. I was asking around, you know, for a selfie stick. Um, and uh, just around here. And of course, you know, no one really wants to own up to having a selfie stick because they just feel a little vain about it. Um, and turns out Ron had three just in his office. <laughs> I don't know what that says about him. You can be the judge of that. Very good. And, uh, you know, I also did some Googling this last week, and uh, I discovered that there are 90 million selfies taken every day in the world, right? Which, um, if you have teenagers living at home, that number may seem a little low to you, but <laughs> it just goes to show, like, how often we are taking pictures of ourselves, and with so many people now trying to capture the perfect picture of themselves, we now unfortunately hear from time to time of a selfie gone terribly wrong. Like this one, for example. This poor lady, you know, she just, she just wanted to get a picture of herself with the nice little camel. Did you know also, I found this amazing, that 20 to 30 people now die each year from trying to capture the perfect selfie. Which, get this, that means that death by selfie <laughs> is statistically more likely to happen than death by shark. I mean, who would have ever known that our cell phones pose a greater danger than a shark. And even, of course, if you do remain uh, safe during your selfie session, well, of course, there always remains the risk of capturing that which you did not intend. And, of course, it goes worldwide over the internet. <laughs> you know, what a beautiful moment between father and daughter. And can a dog not get any privacy anymore? <laughs> now, listen, Peter doesn't provide us any commentary on taking selfies, but he will address this same theme of a focus on ourselves. Although it would have been expressed much differently in Peter's day, the obsession over one's image was just as prevalent. Their society was segregated by all of these social classes, and although it was extremely rare to move between those classes, 
Well, you would move up and down in status in your class depending on your reputation or image. Many commentators of the Bible will refer to this as sort of, um, they call it an honor and shame-based society. To be honored by someone, by a higher social status than you, would earn you respect. It would open up social, even financial, opportunities. To be shamed by someone higher than you on that social ladder would, of course, decrease your popularity. You might become more and more of a social outcast. Now, if we operated like this today, I might ask you to join me downtown in the public square where everyone gathers And in front of the crowd, I would throw my arm around your shoulder. And I would say, let me tell you what an honor it is to know this person. And I would publicly brag about you, right? Recognizing your awesomeness. And in the public's eye, well, this would uh, probably get you nowhere because they're wondering who the heck I am. But you at least get the idea. And if you were honored in front of everyone, well, then your reputation would move up a couple of notches and you would then have people coming up to you, sucking up to you even, hoping that you would then honor them. So you kind of see the incentive there. Today, a lot of times, the score is kept, especially by maybe the younger generations, in terms of number of likes or views. But back then, it was all about how many times and by whom you were publicly honored. And so self-image and reputation, you see, would have been at the forefront of people's minds. And it is with this perspective that Peter ends his letter. He ends by challenging Christians with this one thing. Stay humble. And so Peter will remind us that humility is at the center of our faith. Now the key verses to look at, which are actually in the middle of that chapter, or uh, verses 5 and 6, we'll read those first. Because everything else that he says in that chapter sort of wraps around these couple of verses. And so in 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 5, he says, All of you, dress yourselves in humility as you relate to one another. For God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. So humble yourselves under the mighty power of God. And at the right time, he will lift you up in honor. Give all your worries and cares to God, for he cares about you. Now notice... That Peter just doesn't talk about just like a certain scenario in which we ought to have humility on display. But instead, it seems to be this mindset, right? That we would always dress or clothe ourselves with. Because without such humility, will we become naked and exposed in our faith? For people will see us as looking nothing like Jesus. Because it's him, of course, who gives us the perfect picture of what humility is. 
One of the greatest verses on this, uh, uh, we read it a couple of weeks ago, actually, is Philippians chapter 2, verse 5. It's so great. Paul says, you must have the same attitude that Christ Jesus had. And here it is. Though he was God, he did not think of equality with God as something to cling to. Instead, he gave up his divine privileges. He took the humble position of a slave and was born as a human being. When he appeared in human form, he humbled himself in obedience to God and died a criminal's death on the cross. And such humility, it always begs the question, why? Why allow all of that? Why go through such treatment? I mean, especially when you don't even have to. And Jesus' reason? Well, it was us. He came to earth. He lived the way he did. He died the way that he did. And all because his life revolved around us. So that our life may now revolve around him. Humility is at the center of our faith. And we, when we grow prideful instead, well, what we really do there is we place ourselves at the center of our universe, right? We're the most important thing there. But when we grow spiritually, with this mindset of humility, will we begin to place Jesus more and more at the center of our universe? There was a man who walked into this rest area bathroom, and he had barely sat down when he heard a voice from the other stall say to him, Hey there, how are you? Now, uh, this guy was like any other normal person and not the type to uh, start up a conversation in the bathroom. But of course, he felt like a jerk, you know, just completely ignoring him. And so he answered back, somewhat embarrassed, uh, doing just fine over here. The other guy then said, so what are you up to? Now, what kind of question is that in the restroom, right? And he said, oh, uh, you know, just like you, probably just traveling. And at this point, of course, he is just trying to wrap things up and get out of there as fast as he can. When he hears another question asked of him. This time, the other guy says, so, would you be interested in grabbing some lunch a little later? And so now things have gotten as weird as they could possibly get. And so determined to end this incredibly bizarre conversation, he says, uh, yeah, I'm going to have to pass on that one. I, I don't make it a policy to hang out with people I meet in public restrooms. And then he hears the guy in a very frustrated tone say, listen, I'm going to have to call you back because the guy in the next stall keeps answering all my questions. <laughs> and
And sure, laugh, but I think that we're all prone to trying to make everything about ourselves. And the Bible is always pushing against this, right? Because Jesus always made his life more about God's plans and others' needs than he ever did himself. It was the example that he showed us. And so God in his word will always tell us that we are important, that we are valued, that we are loved, but that the focus of our life is not meant to be ourselves. It's meant to be God and others. That's the mindset of humility. So often I I think that we think of the opposite of humility as being pride, right? Which pride um, obviously, you know, will oftentimes fill in the gaps where humility is lacked. But I think the real opposite of humility is really just selfishness. And so the process of becoming more humble is actually the process of getting over ourselves. Look at what Paul said right before talking about how we should have that same attitude of Christ in Philippians 2, 3. He says, don't be selfish. Don't try to impress others. Be humble, thinking of others as better than yourselves. Don't look out only for your own interests, but take an interest in others too. In our culture, we sometimes, I think, get fed some misconceptions about humility. Because sometimes humility is equated to um, not appearing too successful. But you know, actually, a better picture of humility is probably becoming wildly successful and leveraging that success for the needs of others and work of God. Or we might hear that a humble person is someone who is self-depreciating, even downplaying maybe the things that they're really good at. But you know, true humility instead probably looks more like embracing those God-given giftings that we have but yet realizing that those gifts become infinitely more powerful when used for God's glory rather than for man's. So today I want to I give you um, probably the longest, clunkiest definition for humility you have probably ever seen. All right? And uh, so I actually, I admit that I, I wrote this myself. So... Um, you won't find this in Webster anywhere, and it would probably be pulled off Wikipedia due to the garbled mess that it is, all right? Um, But humility is seeing all things and ourselves in relation to God, being honest about our limitations, and at the same time, understanding our value. It's not being self-preoccupied because we have a better, higher, and more glorious thing to be occupied with. It's humility. Now in chapter 5, 
you'll notice that Peter mentions a few instances in which humility is going to be really important for us when it comes to maturing as Christians. So if you got those Bibles open, we're going to see first humble in leadership. First Peter chapter 5, verse 1. Peter says, and now a word to you who are elders in the churches. I too am an elder and a witness to the sufferings of Christ. And I too will share in his glory when he is revealed to the whole world. As a fellow elder, I appeal to you. Care for the flock that God has entrusted to you. Watch over it willingly, not grudgingly. Not for what you will get out of it, but because you are eager to serve God. Don't lord it over the people assigned to your care, but lead them by your own good example. And when the great shepherd appears, you will receive a crown of never-ending glory and honor. Now, oftentimes at church and even here at Journey, when we say the word elder, it will normally refer to a position. So we have several elders here at Journey that we will speak about from time to time. And they are the guys who are responsible for reviewing the, the priorities and the finances of the church just to make sure that we're really staying on purpose and, and doing things in a God-honoring way. And in the early church, well, they had people that would serve in these very similar roles. However, the term elder was also used a little more loosely then. Because for one, you know, a lot, of, a lot of times people were just simply meeting in little home churches, right? And so when you only got like about a dozen people or so, well, official titles aren't always necessary. And then also, elders could sometimes refer to a group who others simply had a great deal of respect for. So those were the guys that maybe tended to have a lot of influence with that group. Or oftentimes, too, the word elder was used to refer to someone older and so respected because of their age and their wisdom. And so this passage here, it rightfully gets applied to someone in an elder position or maybe in church leadership, but it's also relevant to anyone who has influence with someone else. And so it applies to the mom at home raising children who has a huge influence with them. Or maybe it's the employee at work who others depend on. It could even be the friend that the other friends look to for advice. And so we see in this passage that in this context of leadership, we're encouraged to care as a shepherd. Now, shepherding was a common metaphor used in the Bible. And sheep are really kind of one of the rare animals that don't thrive so well in the wild. They always have this constant need to be led to greener pasture or to shelter. Maybe it's water. And so it gives us this little bit of picture of how we as believers are always led by God. And also when we are in community 
with one another like this, how we need and depend on each other for spiritual growth and encouragement. Oh, and you know, my bet, my bet is that as Peter is putting pen to paper here about leadership, his thoughts drift back to that scene on the beach with Jesus. We reminisced about it a couple of weeks ago when Jesus pulled Peter aside and three different times said, hey, Pete, you love me, right? Okay, then feed my sheep, he says. And so now Peter, he just simply seems to be relaying the same kind of message to us now. Okay, so you love and you follow Jesus. Then shepherd his people, he would say. Of course, a shepherd would care for a flock in a couple of different ways. One, of course, was the feeding aspect, which is where we get this idea of talking about God's word with others, encouraging them with it. A shepherd would also, of course, tend to the sheep, which speaks for us of having this heart for people, taking an interest in them, nurturing and helping them maybe where there is opportunity to do so, to care as a shepherd. And humble leadership and caring as a shepherd will also inspire us to serve selflessly, it says in there. For you'd never get into the shepherding occupation because you were looking out for yourself. They always had to be tending to the needs of the sheep before their own. And it was also never an occupation in which you would receive a lot of praise for or participation ribbons. There's a little leadership parable told of a janitor who worked in a pretty large organization. And he was mopping the halls one evening. And he all of a sudden came across one of those uh, magic bottles, you know, where the genie pops out. He's now got three wishes. And so he thinks about it. And he says, you know what? I want to be someone important in this organization. I I want people to actually recognize me. And poof, he suddenly finds himself in a nice office, middle management. Puts his feet up on the desk and he thinks to himself, all right, now this is nice. With his second wish, he thought again. and, And then he began thinking, you know, I'd like to be even more important than this. I not only want to be recognized, I actually want to begin making some big decisions around this place. And so, poof, he suddenly got a suit on. Now a corner office with a beautiful view. And at this point, he already knows what his third wish is going to be. Because why stop there? He said, you know what? Now, for my third wish, I wish to be the most important person in the organization. I want to be the greatest. And poof, he finds himself again in the hallway with a mop in hand. 
And the leadership parable is meant to echo one of Jesus' teachings when he says that the greatest among you will be the one who serves the most. Now, we can probably all attest to that truth. Because we would likely say that the best leaders we've been under or influenced by have been those who seem to be motivated by a loving concern for others more than a desire for personal glory. Because as soon as we sense that they would like to use us rather than help us, well, we're no longer singing their praises then, are we? Serve selflessly. And when it comes to leading as Jesus did, we will also have to, the third one that's mentioned in there in that little section is lead by example. If we are to be a spiritual influence on others, listen, we will never be a perfect example of following God because we're all going to have our foul ups along the way. But people should see our example in the way that we strive to grow in our relationship with God. They should see or hear of maybe the spiritual steps that we're taking. Maybe it's the spiritual habits we're trying to develop in our life. It may be where we believe God leading us. And they should also hear us confess and repent at times when we've blown it. Because no one ever minds following someone who isn't perfect, but people definitely mind following someone whom they consider to be a hypocrite. And being a hypocrite doesn't mean that you never fail. It just means that you pretend you don't. Right? And so when we look to leadership, we always, we always look for authenticity because it's one of the marks of humility. And next, Peter mentions, he's going to mention the younger people. And here, we're going to see this idea of being humble enough to learn from others. So if you're here this morning, and you are younger, which, you know, of course, I consider uh, my age and younger, right? That's what we always tend to do. So if you fall into that category, understand that Peter is not trying to set up a chain of command here. We talked about that a couple of weeks ago when Peter discussed the dirty little S word that we call submission. You can go back and you can listen to that online if you missed it. But the point was not that the older people would outrank the younger. It was that the older people have a lot of experience to share that the young people can benefit from. But that takes a lot of humility, doesn't it? Uh, I went to Mexico for a year during college, and not speaking the language there, you know, I had a lot of, uh, shall we say, humbling experiences. I can remember announcing to a bunch of people, a lot of them girls, that I was in heat when I was really, I was just trying to make a comment on the warm weather. Or another time, 
when my host family, uh, I lived with them, and one night we sat down at the dinner table, and we were sharing just, you know, a pleasant meal together, and my very polite and quiet senora, she asked me a question, and I replied back with some foul language. It was just a phrase that I had picked up on the street, and I didn't fully realize what it had meant, but I could tell by the shocked look on her face that that was not appropriate at the dinner table. And it was moments like these that made learning the language real tough for me, because listen, I hated to look stupid. And before I went down, there was a group of us that went down, of course, and the exchange program, before we went down, we would meet with them, and they would actually preach to us that you can never be afraid to look foolish. In fact, they insisted that the more mistakes we made with the language, the faster we were likely to learn. And you know, that was probably true. Because listen to this. You cannot be prideful and teachable at the same time. Ah, oh, that never works. It's one of the reasons why God would say that he opposes the proud. God hates pride. Because it is pride that would always make us believe that, oh, I, I know what I'm doing. I don't need help. God, I don't even need you for this one. I've got this. And it's pride that will blind us to our weaknesses. Humility, on the other hand, is always what reveals to us our need to be dependent on God. And the last thing that Peter is going to mention is being humble in our faith. If you're reading along with me, 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 8, he says, Stay alert. Watch out for your great enemy, the devil. He prowls around like a roaring lion, looking for someone to devour. Stand firm against him and be strong in your faith. And so it's humility. That keeps us alert. You know, I have a cat at home that I love to antagonize. Now, not to be mean, you know, but just to show it some attention. Even get him a little exercise, you know, get him all riled up and everything. And uh, if you have a cat at home, you will likely be very familiar with my approach. He'll be laying all nicely there on the couch by me. And I will just begin by testing his temperament. By tickling him in a spot that I know tends to annoy him. And he will look up at me and give me that snobby cat look. Just to let me know that that is not the way he prefers to be petted. And then once I can tell he's a little annoyed at me, I'll really begin to flirt with danger by getting my hands within easy reach of his claws. And I will ruffle the fur on his belly. And he'll take some swipes at me to try to defend himself. 
And then I go all in and I will attack his face with my hand because it just drives him crazy. (laughs) And I will let him try to scratch and bite me. And most of the time, you know, he will back down before I suffer too many scratches. But every once in a while, he'll get me good. And I know the risks, but because of my size and my agile fighting skills, I know that I can end that fight normally anytime I want. And this is a lot of times how we approach those things that we know to be destructive in our faith. When we flirt with sin, oh, we see it as something dangerous. I mean, we know that we have to be real careful or it could scratch us good. But the mistake that we make with sin, and even Satan, is that it's not like risking scratches from a kitty. Peter declares that it's like risking death from a lion. Now, can you imagine playing around and antagonizing a lion? Saying, here, kitty, 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 and then slapping it across the face. Thinking that the only thing at risk may be just a few good scratches. But again, it's pride that would have us believe that. And it's humility that will instead guard us against what may be destructive to our spiritual life. Because with humility, we begin to understand and acknowledge our weaknesses. We are to be humble in our faith, knowing that it's not by our power that we would ever be able to fend off Satan or or maybe it's end some cycle of sin, but it's only through God's power within us that would allow us to overcome. There's a great verse in Ephesians chapter 6, verse 10. In fact, us guys, we love this one because it talks about manly stuff like fighting and you know, warrior kind of things and and putting things on. And it says this, be strong in the Lord and, and this is key, in his mighty power. And so put on all of God's armor so that you will be able to stand firm against all strategies of the devil. See, when humility is at the center of our faith, we can stay centered on Jesus. Recognizing that it's only through a relationship with him as savior that our sins can be forgiven. And it's our constant dependence on him that will allow us to live in a God-honoring way. And so in the last just few minutes that I have, I want to give us a few practical steps that we can take if we wish to allow God to really cultivate this mindset of humility. When it comes to these very things, leadership, learning, and faith. And so you might even make some of these your goals for this week. The first is look for an opportunity each day to put someone ahead of yourself. So it could be a stranger in the grocery line, 
a friend, a spouse. It doesn't really matter, just so long as it feels difficult to do so. Right? Because it is good, I think, to recognize our proneness to be selfish. To recognize that in this situation, I'm naturally inclined to put myself first. And so I'm going to make a conscious choice this time to put you first. It might mean that you go out of your way to really help someone. Or it could be as simple as a conversation with a friend. Whereas you might normally make yourself the focus of that conversation. You focus it instead around your interest in them. As a husband, maybe tonight, when you and your wife are sitting there on the couch, you look her deep in the eyes and you hand her the remote control. That's a real serious example from my relationship. I can't trust her with that thing. But look for an opportunity each day to put someone ahead of yourself. Here's a second one. Anonymously give or be generous with something you have. Now it can be money or it really it literally could be anything else. But the key, I think, is to try to do it anonymously. Because it is a humbling experience to know that someone is going to be blessed because of you. And you won't get any of the credit for it. We often don't mind giving, right, when we think that we are going to be rewarded with something else. That's actually a little more like buying than it is giving. But that's what we tend to do. And so when we do something anonymously... It helps to condition us even to take the focus off of ourselves. And here's the third one. Repent of pride and selfishness. Now determining in your heart that maybe you've been prideful or selfish in an area um, is good. But what I'm talking about is actually saying that out loud to a person which is a scary thing, but going to them and confessing that, you know what, in, in this area, I have really always put myself first. And maybe you would say sorry about that. You would repent. And you don't have to worry about it because you're not going to be telling them anything that they don't already know. And chances are good that if you need to do that this week, that that relationship is already a strained one. And I would never make any promises. Um, I would never say that it would be a quick fix. But I do believe this, that nothing has more power to restore relationship than repentance and humility. And so maybe that's where you start this week. I'd like to pray for us that God would help us to live out Peter's words, that we might grow in humility, especially when it comes to that leadership, to that learning, and to our faith. 
that we would be more and more clothed in humility. Let me pray. Lord, God, what a, what a struggle it is, you know, for us to take the focus off of us and maybe it's place it on you. Maybe it's place it on another person. And I pray that you would help us with that process, God, of getting over ourselves, of changing that mindset. Lord, as we even take some communion now, Lord, we thank you that we get the opportunity to take the focus off of ourselves. And through communion, of course, we celebrate what you've done the sacrifice that you made, the body and the blood that you gave. And we spend some time focused on you. And so, Lord, as we do that, I pray that, that you would speak to us. Maybe you would even challenge us to take one of those steps this week. And, Lord, I pray that as we would clothe ourselves and walk in humility as followers of you, that we might be an awesome reflection to the rest of the world of just what you're like. And so, Lord, we love you. And we give you this time again in your name. Amen.